Tears on my pillow that won't dry on their road beyond my ears. I've no sorrow, but today I don't walk alone. everybody. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Uh, we're going to have Joey come up and tell us a joke. So I'd like to apologize to you all ahead of time. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, I'm sorry I'm here tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I, I got a good one. It's, this one's a little longer, so bear with me. Um, maybe recovered, but reading still is not my strong suit. All right. A man in a hot air balloon realized he was lost. He saw a person on the ground and yelled down to him, Can you help me? I don't know where I am. The man replied, Sure, I'll help you. You're in a hot air balloon hovering 30 feet above the ground between 40 and 41 degrees north latitude and between 59 and 60 degrees west longitude. Wow, you must be an AA sponsor, said the man in the balloon. I am, said the man, but what gave me away? Well, answered the balloonist, everything you told me is technically right, but I am still lost. Frankly, you're not much help at all, and you might as well have delayed my trip. You must be an AA sponsee, replied the man. The man in the balloon was amazed and said, I am, but how did you know? The man on the ground said, well, you don't know where you are or where you're going. You have risen to where you, oh crap. you have risen to where you are due to, you have risen to where you are due to a lot of hot air. Sorry about that. 
You are expecting other people to solve your problems, and the fact is that you are exactly in the same position you were before you left. But somehow, it's all my fault. Thank you. All right, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name's Ryan. Hey. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or that will distract others, and take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Uh, So if everybody's ready, we're going to dim the lights, and we're going to bring in the monks and start the meditation. say the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, it's right up here or on the screens. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. Uh, I have Mikey coming up to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Mikey, alcoholic. Spiritual Experience. 
The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of, of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he has not closed his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle, principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thanks, Mikey. Uh, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so uh, just turn your phones to air, airplane mode or just turn them off. Um, all right, so tonight we've got Tom coming up for his 12th and final session. Um, honestly, usually by like week nine, like I'm kind of over the speaker and ready for the next one. Um, but uh, Tom has kept me entertained this whole time. I've been looking forward to Thursday nights just to hear what he has to say. Um, so I'm sure tonight's going to be no different. Um, so I'm looking forward to tonight, Tom. Come on up. Okay, gotta, I can't uh, see you out there. I see you, Dean. <laughs> My name's Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, so we're going to talk about the 12th step. So we've got to have a joke about the 12th step, okay? It's a, a very important joke, you know. One veteran AA says, the trouble with two-stepping is that you usually combine the wrong parts of the first and twelfth 
steps. My life is unmanageable, and I'd like to share it with you. <laughs> yeah, but by the time we, by the time we get to the twelve step, we realize that we start to, if we don't start addressing our codependency issues, we're in big trouble. Okay, because uh, as far as this alcoholic is concerned, that's what emotional sobriety is all about: addressing our codependency problems. They, they, they gave, have given me, and still to this day, continue to give me a problem. You know? well, let's, start, let's start with a story uh, that happened a long time ago, uh, probably almost 50 years ago now. You know, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous 48 years ago. I didn't stay. I spent 10 years in and out, but I had some time in every one of those years. Of course, that time that I could spend out there, it got shorter because I went to the bottom faster. And the time that I could spend sitting in these rooms and not surrendering because that's what the deal's all about. The deal's all about surrender. You know, you can, you can, make a, up your mind it took me a long time in sobriety to make up my mind you know I used to talk about I like to sound good okay you know who doesn't like to sound good right Every, I mean you know we're egomaniacs I don't know about you but I am I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex that's who I am you know and, and, and so we like to sound good we, you know, and we become real good at sounding good. That doesn't mean that we're really doing anything other than being a parrot and sitting in meetings and sounding good so we can impress people. At least for me, I'm speaking about me. This is what I did. You know. And I love to, uh, I love to say... Uh, the old uh, adage that is really just one guy's opinion in a story in the back of the big book. And that, that is that acceptance is the answer to all your problems. As a matter of fact, I know people that know Dr. Paul from Los Angeles, and he would tell you if he was standing up here today, he wishes he would have never wrote that. Because acceptance is not the answer. Surrender is the answer. Surrender. I can't even get to acceptance without surrender. And so uh, I was many years sober. I like to say that all the time, you know. I mean, uh, you know, acceptance. Is, accept life on life's terms. That's what I have to do. I have to accept life on life's terms. I would say that over and over all the time. And then one night after a meeting, a guy came up to me and he said, let me ask you something, Tom. Don't you think that it would be better to accept life on God's terms than to accept life on life's terms? Because God doesn't make too hard of terms. 
I mean, this this goes in line with what I've been talking about the whole time that I've been up here for the past 12, 12 weeks. It's to try to bring you to God. That's what this meeting is about. That's why you see this all around you. You know, like my sponsor says, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is this is all about God. The bad news, this is all about God. Now, you can call God whatever you want. You know, the atheists in AA call God spiritual principles. You know, I, but I, 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 if we take God out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, we go from, if we just take God out of every page, and I could show you a picture. We take the big book, looks about this thick, right? We take God out of the, every page of that, and the big book comes down to about like a notebook. So this is about God, and it's about, it's about coming to terms with living with God and taking life on God's terms. And God doesn't make too hard of terms because the problem with my God is he was wrong. I had the wrong God. I had the monster God. He was a monster. He wanted to put me in hell. He wanted to punish me for eternity. I had to, to survive in the fire. You know. I never I never forget when I heard Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr say that the biggest cause of atheism is Christianity. Christianity is the biggest cause of atheism. How's that for thinking about something? Why is that? Why is Christianity the biggest cause of atheism? Because of what, you know, they tried to shove down my throat my whole life. What they try to shove down everybody's throat. So they can control you. So they can put you under their thumb. That's not who my God is. My God's a God that I learned from the man. If you've been here with me through these 12 weeks, I've, I've told this story about how he stood in my way and wouldn't let me come through the door of Alcoholics Anonymous after 10 years of being in and out. Who stood in my way after I came out of the VA hospital. After 10 years of going in and out, and I finally had a couple of months under my belt and they had me on Anna abuse. And, and he, I went to go back to meetings and he stood in the doorway and wouldn't let me pass. That's the man who put my hand in God's hand. Because that's the man who gave me a God that I could accept and surrender to. Because he was a God of love. That's what I needed. That man used to say, what's Alcoholics Anonymous all about? Well, Alcoholics Anonymous is all about people. And what are people all about? Well, people are all about God. Because that's who we are. I'm created and we're all created in God's image. In other words, I have a soul. A piece of God in me. And I believe in the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God because and the reason I got this hat on so I can look in your eyes. If I don't have on this hat, then, the, then, the, then the, the light's blinding me and I can't look in your eyes and that's the windows to your soul. And I need to look in, in your soul and speak to you. 
I don't know what I'm saying when I get up here. I say a prayer, and I say, God, let you, you do the talking. Because I don't know what I'm going to say. Well, I got lots of stuff. I, you know, I'll sit, and I'll read, and I'll highlight, and everything else. And then I get up here, and, I, and it's all of a sudden I forget all about that stuff. And I just start talking. And this is what I got to say. Because I know, I know where my sobriety comes from. I know where that love comes from. It comes from my God. Unconditional love that he has for me. And he's blessed me. Blessed me for years. Not with material things. But with an abundance of joy. You open the 12 and 12. And what's the first thing it says? The first sentence says, the joy of living is the theme of AA's 12th step. The joy of living. I know who gave me this life. I know who sustains the life that I have. I know because I know that he reached down through the darkness And he lifted me up out of the muck of alcoholism. And he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my way. That rock is the the program Alcoholics Anonymous. And that way is the steps. The steps are a way of life that I have been doing for the past 38 years. The 12th step is a three-part, three-part step. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. That's the first part. Second part, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics who still suffer. Third part, we practice these principles in all our affairs. This is, this is what the 12th step is. What's my life about? What's my life going to be about? How did I come to have this spiritual awakening? How did I come from uh, the man that used to crawl in the gutter? That lived a terrible life. That hated everything and everybody. And hated God. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that I was. But I heard a man one day say in Alcoholics Anonymous that he was a God-hater. And I knew that that's who I was when I came here. That I was a God-hater. That I blamed God. I mean, I didn't want to take responsibility for my alcoholism. I had to have somebody to blame. Who's better to blame than God? God did this to me. God ruined my life. Why did God punish me? And then a man told me, you know what, Tom, you don't stand much of a chance of change until you get rid of your victim story. Your victim story's got to go. That victim story is what's weighing your ass down. That's the rock that you keep holding on to that's sinking you in this life. 
because you want to point your finger at something or somebody that's the cause of your problems. When you're the cause of your own problems. I could sit up here. I could blame my mommy and my daddy. I could blame, you know, the priests and the, and the, and the Christian brothers and the nuns. I could blame the army. I could blame the bullies that I had to fight as a kid. I could blame all that. The, the nasty things that people say to you that make you think that there's something wrong with you. Well, what good will that do? Will that change anything for me? That's not going to change anything for me. You know, I used to take everything personally. I used to think that every time somebody gave me a snub or, or said some derogatory thing to me, you know what I would do with that? I would give that thing power. I'd give that thing power over me. And I'd put that in my mind, and I'd think about it, because that's what I do. I can't stop thinking. And 98% of my thinking is just bullshit. It's just the same tapes playing over and over again. And it's all about yesterday, and it's all about tomorrow. And who's in yesterday, and who's in tomorrow? Me. So I don't know who you think about all day, but I know who I think about. I think about me. I heard Bob Anderson say that. He said, I think about me. So when I have a spiritual awakening, that means to me I'm not thinking about me all the time anymore. I've learned through the process of the steps to think about something besides me. And I need to treat my alcoholism when I wake up every day because I have untreated alcoholism. So I go to God and I ask God for strength because that's what the man taught me who wouldn't get out of my way. He asked me to pray. And I didn't want nothing to do with prayer. He asked me to get on my knees and ask God for the strength to stay clean and sober. I'd never done that in all those years that I had been in and out of here. I was just accepting life on life's terms. White knuckle in life. And I said to him, well, I don't see how that's going to do anything. And what did he say to me? How's your way been working, wise guy? Your way been working for you for these 10 years that you can't stay sober? And I'm so egotistical, you know, that I can't even say you're right. All the best you can get out of me is, well, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. And then he said, well, I guess what you believe in doesn't make any difference then, does it? Because what you believe doesn't work. So I'm not asking you to believe. You don't have to believe. This isn't about what you're willing to believe. This is about what are you willing to do? Are you just willing to do that? Are you just willing to ask God for the strength to stay clean and sober? And thank him at night. And try to be sincere when you do it. You don't have to believe it. Just try and be sincere. I said, I can do that. And then lo and behold, the obsession was removed from me. And I realized that God really did love me. 
See, I didn't think God was going to do anything for me because I was worthless in my mind. Because after I realized that this obsession to drink and to use had been removed and that this had happened because I had done something that somebody suggested that I didn't even believe in and that it worked, I came to believe that a power greater than myself would restore me to sanity. And I got on my knees with that same man. And I took the third step. And I wrote a fourth step. And I learned that what my problem is, is my thinking. The way I think. That what I'd done my whole life was condemn myself. That I was full of self-condemnation. That all I'd ever done is self-talk how I was worthless. How I couldn't measure up. How I wasn't perfect. How I wasn't like other people. Blah, 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 blah. All the time talking to me. This crap. This committee. And that to make up for it, to keep myself from going totally bonkers, I created a character full of false pride. I created that character, and I built him from the ground up. This tough guy character. That was all baloney. But what I really was doing was building a wall around me that was four foot thick, and I'd spent my whole life patching every crack in that hole so that you couldn't get in and see the way I really thought about me and got so lost in that character that I really started to believe that that's who I was. And when I got here, I didn't even know who I was. I was a mess. And I was this very spiritually sick person. And we get well. We get, we get sick first. First we get sick spiritually. That's the first way we get sick. We start getting sick. I was getting sick spiritually as a kid, way before I ever picked up a drink. I was restless, irritable, and discontent my whole life. And I wanted to believe that it was a substance that was the problem. But it was a substance that was the solution. When I found the substance, it was the solution to the way that I felt about me and the way that I thought about me. And that substance, you know, was the medication that I used for the disease of the thinking because I got a disease that centers in my mind. It's a mind-powered disease. And I use my mind as the authority for my life. And that's why I never could get sober because I went to me. I didn't go to God. I didn't go to the Alcoholics Anonymous way of life. I looked at the first step and said, yeah, sure, I got a problem, and I got a solution. You just don't do it. And the reason my life's unmanageable is because I got thrown in jail because I was drunk, and if I don't get drunk, I won't get thrown in jail, and if I don't get drunk, then I'm managing my life. And if that was the case, what am I still doing here after 38 years? Why am I still here? If all of it was about was drinking, because I haven't thought about a drink in a long, long time. 
once about 25 years sober, I did. I was coming down. You know, I was a rum dump. I love Bacardi rum. I used to drink that 151, man. I'd start out with, with a lot of Coke, and it, you know, it would be dark. And in no time at all, it'd be clear. There wouldn't be any Coke in there. And I'm coming down uh, uh, 95, about 25 years sober. And I see this, I'm in Miami, and I've been out on jobs all day, and it's hot, it's the summertime. And I see this, uh, this big uh, billboard with this beautiful Cuban woman on it. And she's got a tall cocktail glass like that with ice and, and mint leaves in it and everything. And it says, mojito. <laughs> and I think, I never had a mojito. I'll bet you if I pull off down here, I could go into a Cuban bar, and they probably have mojitos in there. And I could see what a mojito tastes like. And then all of a sudden, it comes to me, what are you, nuts? You, you know, I mean, this is how fast. We have no defense against this drink. We have no defense except the power that God gave me from being on my knees that morning and asking God for the strength to stay clean and sober so that the thought would be pulled away and the thought that God puts there, you're nuts. You know you can't drink. 25 years sober. can happen to any of us. Just like that. It can happen. But it's not about that. It's about... Living a day at a time. Being comfortable in the day that I'm in. Just for the day. I'm okay. I'm okay because I learned about me. And I started to practice a way of life to take these defects of character from me. And ask God to help me to live different. And practice, practice, practice. The basics. You know, I got a perfect example sitting over here. The basics, If the reason why they always tell you, if you stick with the basics, you never have to come back to them, that's because you went and got drunk. And that's why you have to come back to them. Because if you would have stuck with them, you would have never got drunk. The basics keep you sober on a daily basis. And no matter how many years that you've been sober, for this alcoholic, no matter how many years I've been sober, I'm in those basics every day. You know, they're simple things. I hit my knees. I ask God for the strength to stay clean and sober today. I ask God to take my life and my will under his care. I ask God to guide me and show me the way that he wants me to live. I sit down, I read a few meditations. I sit and I, and, I, and I be still for a while and I think about the things that I read in the meditations. I go to a meeting every day. I call my sponsor. I call other people in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's about connection. I need that connection on a daily basis. And it is through the practice of all these principles and the principles are the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sponsor was slick. You know, he was real slick. 
See, I'm a Central House guy. And if you ever come to Central House and you look up on the wall, you'll see we've got signs. We've got 12 signs up there. And they say honesty, hope, faith, you know. And, and what they are is they're one word, one word that kind of guides you to what that is a principle, but they are not the principles. <laughs> the principles are these steps. So when it says practice these principles in all our affairs, it means practice these steps. We, we, work, the, we work all these steps. I used to be one of these guys that was a maintenance step guy. 10, 11, 12. That's all you need to worry about. 10, 11, 12. Then many years ago, a man named Jonathan introduced my wife and I to a man named Bob Anderson through tape. And he, I was 18 years sober, and he gave me a whole new way of looking at the steps. Because he talked. You know what he said? The first thing that he said that really got to me. He said, you know, we do a disservice to the people of Alcoholics Anonymous by even saying work the steps. Like as if that you're going to start and you're going to finish. Oh, that's all you got to do. One through nine. Bang. You never have to mess with them again. Those are over. We're just going to do 10, 11, 12 now. He talked about the application of the steps in my life, all 12 of them, all the time. And he was a 12 by 12. He used to say, he used to call this the 12 and 12, the 12 by 12. The 12 by 12, yeah. And he talks about, you know, it talks about that in the 12 step. I'm not going to look for things. It throws me off. He talks about that. It was in here all along. How come I never saw that? How come other people in Alcoholics Anonymous never pointed that out to me? How come they were always just about, oh, this is maintenance steps, 10, 11, 12. They never pointed that out in here. It's in here about three times in the 12th step. Live the steps, all the steps, all 12 steps, it says. Live all 12 steps. Through application. So I take these steps and I look at my life. I see where these 12 steps apply to my life on a daily basis. You know. We try to practice these principles in all our affairs. Is that easy? No. But you know what? Anything that ever came to me easy, I never took care of. You give me something, I don't appreciate it. Not like when I have to work for it. When I have to work for it, I appreciate it. I put a lot of effort. You know, you really do get out of this what you put into it. And, you know, I'm always, I'm the guy, who am I? I'm the guy that wants the easier, softer way. I'm the guy that wants the fast result that wants the instant gratification. I'm the guy that goes to the back of the book to see what the whole book's about before I bother reading it. I want to know how it ends. That's how I first, what you just heard tonight. 
about spiritual experience. That's how I first really discovered what a jerk I was over not wanting to, to discover a spiritual experience was because I had contempt prior to investigation. What good's that going to do me? Praying. What good's that going to do me? Praying. I was contemptuous of this way of life. For years, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I sit around in the meetings and I pick everybody apart and assassinate everybody's character. And they're just like the people in church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. You know, blah, 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 blah. No, I want to believe, you know, that I can, I can wrest satisfaction and happiness from this life if I just manage well. In other words, if I just get everything I want, if I just get enough money, if I get the right girl, if I get the right car, if I get the right apartment, if I get, if I get the right job, if they give me the right amount of prestige, if people start treating me right, then everything's going to be right. Well, if you start waiting for people to treat you right, I got, I got news for you. They ain't never going to treat you right. But one thing I learned from a woman in Alcoholics Anonymous, she said to me, she said to the whole group, you know, people don't do things to you. People just do things. Who in the hell did I think I was? That I was so special that they were doing it just to me. I never even saw that before. That was like a revelation to me. You mean people, they just do that to everybody? Yeah. They're not just a jerk to you. They're a jerk to everybody. It's not about you. You're not that important. You're not that important. People don't go around thinking about me. I just got done saying it. People think about them. I think about me. I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. It's not just alcoholism. It's not just alcoholics who think that way. The whole human race thinks that way. You know, we're not, not, we're not the only nuts in this world. The world's full of nuts. The whole human race is insane. Hell, they've murdered 100 million of their own people in the past hundred years. They're destroying the planet that they live on. You think the human race isn't insane? All you got to do is look at Europe right now and see how insane it is. Oh, it's insane, all right. And maybe that's why I thought that God hated us and hated me. But it found my God. He was a God that lets the rain fall on the good and the evil. Let's the sun rise on the just and the unjust. When I come to realize that my God doesn't play favorites for anybody, that sickness and death can strike any time. That my God makes no distinction between good and bad people. That this is nature. That we all, all of us, you know, 
It's like a guy said, you can't take it with you when you go. The only thing you can take with you is what you gave away. That's all you get to take with you, is what you give away. So you can die with all the toys. And I've known plenty of people, and I was one of them, that no matter how much I got, I was still miserable. Cicero, who was one of my favorite uh, uh, philosophers, came in, in ancient Roman times, said, if you labor for good, the labor passes, but the good remains. But if you seek pleasure through evil, the pleasure passes, but the evil remains. That's a principle. <laughs> and I kept saying, when are you going to give me the principles? You know. Oh, he says, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. I'll give you the principles after the 12th step, he kept saying. I'll give you the principles after the 12th step. We got to the 12th step, and I said, okay, well, now what about these principles? He said, you just learned them. You just learned the principles. The 12 steps are the principles for a way of life. I was just like these four absolutes. Dr. Bob loved the four absolutes. The four absolutes come from the old Oxford group. Bill didn't like them too much. Bill said you can't tell alcoholics that they have to absolutely obey to anything. But Dr. Bob, he kept them on his desk all the time. The four absolutes are a great, great way to inventory myself. In old time AA, you know, the, I still have pamphlets come from the Cleveland group. You can go to Cleveland in a group. You can go to Chicago in a group. They don't just sell conference-approved literature. Don't let anybody, we got into that discussion up here before. There's no such thing as AA-approved literature, that that's all you're approved uh, or, or all you should be approved. I mean, after all, the big book tells you to look where religious people are right. That's the total opposite of the way I always was because I always looked at where religious people were wrong, not where they were right. It says read lots of books. Ask your rabbi, ask your priest, ask your minister. There's a lot of books out there that you can read that are going to help to expand your spiritual growth. And so that's what the practice of the principles of this program are all about. They're all about me expanding my spiritual growth. This is why I, I, you know, what do the ABCs say? God could and would if he were sought. doesn't say God could and would if he were found. It says if he were sought. I'm a seeker. I haven't found God. I guess I'll find God, you know, when I get there. I hope he'll be there waiting on me. But in the meantime, I continue to seek. That's why I practice meditation. In meditation, I, I find that I'm seeking God. I'm seeking a way of life, a spiritual way of life, one that fills my heart, that brings me the joy of living.
because I know that God's will for me is the same as it is for all of us because we're all God's children. I believe in the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God. That all of us have this soul. We're all a part of this God. That that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is all about. It's all about people. And what are people all about? People are all about God. And what's God all about? God's all about love. God's all about love. And my God loves me unconditionally. My God loves me in a way that I can't even understand. Because I'm human. I'm human. And the most difficult thing for a human being to do is to love unconditionally. We put conditions on everything. And expectations. I expect you to treat me the way I treated you. Or I expect you to do this and do that. And you haven't done it. And then we're told, well, an expectation... That's nothing but a premeditated resentment. So you're already creating a resentment if you have an expectation. That's not going to work too well. <laughs> I, uh, I have something I want to read. I do have something I want to read. Now comes the biggest question yet. What about the practice of these principles in all our affairs? Can we bring the same spirit of love and tolerance into our sometimes deranged family lives that we can bring to our AA group? Can we have the same kind of confidence and faith in these people who have been infected and sometimes crippled by our own illness? that we have in our sponsors? Can we actually carry the AA spirit into our daily work? Can we meet our newly recognized responsibilities to the world at large? And can we bring new purpose and devotion to the religion of our choice? Can we find a new joy of living in trying to do something about all these things? Furthermore, how shall we come to terms with seeming failure or success? Can we now accept and adjust to either without despair or pride? Can we accept poverty, sickness, loneliness, and bereavement with courage and serenity? Can we steadfastly content ourselves with the humbler, yet sometimes more durable satisfactions than the brighter, more glittering achievements that have been denied us? The AA answer to these questions about living is yes. All of these things are possible. We know this because we see monotony, pain, and even calamity turned to good use by those who keep on trying to practice AA's 12 steps. We see this. I see it in my sponsor. The reason he is my sponsor, he has 10 years less than I do. It's not about the years. I talked about that before. There's people in AA that could have 49, 50 years that still don't have anything I want. We told, I told the, the story about how my wife, who's sitting right up here, always says, you know, you can park a Chevy in the garage for 20 years and it'll never turn into a Cadillac. And you can park your ass in these rooms for 20 years and never get sober. Years don't make me sober. It's not about quantity. 
It's about the quality of my life. I see this in my sponsor, 28 years sober, who's had 14 operations in those 28 years, who's suffered. I see it in my own life. I see it in the people about me who take that calamity. I see it in Mike Chase sitting back there. They don't, they don't, they don't let these things stop them from carrying this message because it's in the carrying of this message that this love in their heart grows so huge and fills them with such joy. They're not whining and complaining and saying, poor me, poor me, poor me. Why has God done this to me? Why have I been treated this way? Because that's the lot of life for us human beings. We're not getting out of it. You ain't getting out of it. There's no special dispensation for anybody. When I got rid of that punishing God, the Santa Claus God had to go with him. Because that's what was keeping me sick. That's what was keeping me spiritually sick and hating God that I expected. And that's where the premeditated resentment towards God came in. I expected God because I'm sitting in that chair out there to start doing things my way. How many times over the years that took me back out that door again? And I said to myself, oh, well, I'm not getting a job that pays anything and I can't find a girlfriend and wah, 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 wah. Old Tex, who used to try and help me. I love Tex. He was great. Old Tex, who was trying to help me for years. I went to him one time. I said, you know what, Tex? I know what my problem is. He said, what's your problem? I says, well, my problem is I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I need a girlfriend. That's what I need. I need a girlfriend. He said, well, you know, Tom, it's okay to be lonely. Because when you're lonely... Somebody misses you, or you miss somebody. But it's not okay to be alone, because when you're alone, nobody misses you, and you don't miss nobody. And that was like a knife that went right in me, because that's who I really was. Nobody missed me. They were glad to see me go when I left. And I didn't miss nobody because all I loved was drugs and alcohol. I didn't love nobody. I didn't know how to love nobody. So it's not okay to be alone. The old 12-step house, when it used to be at the end of Las Olas there, in the old days, there was a sign above the door that said, you never have to be alone again. If you're in this room, you never have to be alone again. Never. There's a home here, a home that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous that's given me an abundance of joy through the love that's been shown to me by my God. Our answer is still more spiritual development. 
Only by this means can we improve our chances for really happy and useful living, and we grow spiritually. We find that our old attitudes towards our instincts need to undergo drastic revisions. Our desires for emotional security and wealth, for personal prestige and power, for romance, and for family satisfactions, all these have to be tempered and redirected. We have learned that the satisfaction of instincts cannot be the sole end and aim of our lives. If we place instincts first, we have got the cart before the horse. We shall be pulled backward into disillusionment. And when we are willing, but when we are willing to place spiritual growth first, then and only then do we have a real chance. Only then do I have a real chance. <laughs> I want to read this part because I got something special I, I want to do. This is on page 119, step 12. AA has many single alcoholics who wish to marry and are in a position to do so. Some marry fellow AAs. How do they come out? On the whole, these marriages are very good ones. Their common suffering as drinkers, their common interest in AA and spiritual things often enhance such unions. It is only where boy meets girl on AA campus and love follows at first sight that difficulties may develop. You know, the people in treatment that fall in love on the way to the coffee pot. But when you learn the hard way, like I had to learn, to have a friendship with a woman, to not be jumping into bed with her right away, to find out if I really like her, because, you know, sex doesn't last very long. But what are you going to do the other 24 hours, okay? I'm glad that I followed my sponsor's suggestion. And I'm happy, very happy. The woman that I have met in AA 33 years ago and married is going to pick up 19 years, and I want to give her her medallion. Come on up there. Same one as mine. Believe that. Look at that. Exact same one. Hi, everybody. Here, step up and say so. My name is Kathy, and I'm an alcoholic. And I have trudged the road. I've trudged the road. Um, I've done the work and went through the steps many times. Um, when we moved to Arizona, I got a, a woman who, um, a little 85-year-old woman, she's about this tall, and I started working with her, and she said, I told her I thought I just needed a little spiritual facelift, 
and we started working and she said, girl, you need a, you need an amputation. <laughs> and we, we went through the steps again and what happened to me is that wall that I just wouldn't let, let, let go of. Um, you know, I would admit I was powerless over alcohol, that my life was unmanageable, and I would give God certain things, but not everything. And um, she helped me to find a God of my understanding and I truly, truly had a conversion that I knew I would never be the same again. And so that's, um, that's what I got. Thank you. Before I close it, I have a, something I want to read in closing. It's, a, it's an old favorite of mine. It was written from, uh, it was written by, from a speech by Judge John T. at the fourth anniversary of the Chicago Group in 1943. And it's called, Why We Were Chosen. As if it was a letter from God to us. God in his wisdom has selected this group of men and women to be the in selecting them through whom, to bring, through whom to bring about this phenomenon, he went not to the proud, the mighty, the famous, or the brilliant. He went to the humble, to the sick, to the unfortunate. He went to the drunkard, the so-called weakling of the world. Well might he have said to us, into your weak and feeble hands, I have entrusted a power beyond estimate. To you has been given that which has been denied the most learned of your fellows, not to scientists or statesmen, not to wives or mothers, not even to my priests and ministers, have I given this gift of healing other alcoholics, which I entrust to you. It must be used unselfishly. It carries with it grave responsibility. No day can be too long. No demands upon your time can be too urgent. No case too pitiable, no task too hard, no effort too great. It must be used with tolerance, for I have restricted its application in no race, no creed, and no denomination. Personal criticism you must expect. Lack of appreciation will be your common. Ridicule will be your lot. Your motives will be misjudged. Success will not always attend your efforts in your work with other alcoholics. You must be prepared for adversity. For what men call adversity is the ladder you must use to ascend the rungs towards spiritual perfection. And remember, in the exercise of this power, I shall not exact of you beyond your capabilities. You are not selected because of exceptional talents. And be careful always, if your success attends your efforts, not to ascribe the personal superiority that to which you can lay claim only by my virtue, by virtue of my gift. If I had wanted learned men to accomplish this mission, the power would have been entrusted to the physician and the scientist. If I had wanted eloquent men, there would have been many anxious for the assignment, for talk is the easiest use of all talents. 
with which I have endowed mankind. If I had wanted scholarly men, the world is filled with better qualified men than you who would have been available. You were selected because you have been the outcast of the world and your long experience as drunkards has made or should make you humbly alert to the cries of distress that come from the lonely hearts of alcoholics everywhere. Keep ever in mind the admission you have made on the day of your entrance into AA, namely that you are powerless and that it was only with your willingness to turn your life and will into my keeping that relief came to you. Thanks for letting me share. Thank Tom again. And uh, since this was Tom's last night speaking for us, uh, I want to present you with this limited edition. Practically uh, yeah. nobody has these. I got one, and, and it, it's all worn out now, so I need awesome, a new one. Awesome. Chocolate carry coffee. That's right. My name's Mark, recovered alcoholic secretary. Got this going down. All right, so in keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group will be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going to go around. While the baskets are going around, I've asked Ed to come up here and read the recovered statement for us. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering. What it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now seeing where alcohol was concerned. Consequently, consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty saw a big book sponsorship in the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to and really tried, fifty percent of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time. Neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room tonight? Okay, does anyone in the room need a sponsor? Okay. Well, if you do see someone with their hand raised, please. Am I off? There we go. So normally the last meeting of the month, we recognize uh, sobriety time. A couple friends of ours are getting medallions. Kathy got her 19-year medallion. Zach's also going to uh, be getting a 9-year medallion, and Dean is going to come up here and present that to him. 
Hi, Dean Recovered Alcoholic. This is the most exciting thing to you guys. Anybody that's new, there's hope here. And um, I met Zach uh, via the podcast and uh, flew down here. And nine years ago, uh, well, I don't know if it was nine years, but anyway, he was part of the big book group here. And we have stayed in contact, and I am honored to give Zach a nine-year continuous coin. And thank you for anybody that signed his nine-year card. Thank you. I haven't been up here in a while. <laughs> Recovered alcoholic named Zach. And um, I'm going to be brief. When I got sober, this meeting was at a different church. Um, it's a nightclub now, but it wasn't then. It, it, it was a church. And uh, I knew that if I didn't get in the middle of this thing, I was going to fall off the edge and die. Um, and so I showed up to the Monday night big book study. Uh, early, I was even earlier than Mike Chase, and I sat on the stoop, and I waited, and he showed up with a couple little crunch monkeys, and um, I said, can you guys give me something to do? And they didn't say, get the hell out of here. They said, why don't you make coffee for us? And there's some people in this room that know. Uh, I did that commitment for a long time. You had to wrestle that away from me. Um, And so I had to learn, you know, I had to learn that no one was going to come tap me on the shoulder. No one was going to grab me by the scruff of the neck and say, get involved. I had to take some initiative. I had to get involved in fellowship, in the steps, in sponsorship. Uh, And that is what has changed my life and what's kept me sober. Uh, And this nine years has been the best nine years of my life. I wouldn't have it any other way. Thanks for this. to all our celebrants. Uh, we'll do the quick announcements real quick. Yeah. Uh, so Broward County Intergroup, serving Broward County, Florida, who knew? Uh, office hours are up there. That's if you need big books or literature or medallions. It's now open Saturday. <laughs> uh, we have BCIC. They meet at the 12th Step House, if anyone's interested in that. Second Saturday of the month, 10 a.m. We've got a little sober camping action. Hubert State Park. Um, yeah. Planning December 15th. <laughs> uh, volunteer opportunities going on. Founders Day Picnic. State Convention in Florida. Right here in Fort Lauderdale. Needs volunteers. So, as you know, it was Tom's last night tonight. We're sorry to see him heading 2,400 miles westbound. But next week we have Bobby R. from Pompano Beach, I believe. Yeah, so she'll be here for nine weeks. And then we have Marion here for three weeks after that. That's right, that's here. <laughs> um, and quick announcement, Violet is going to come up for the intergroup appreciation dinner. She, she has tickets. Hello, I'm Violet. I'm an alcoholic. 
Um, so on April 23rd, it's a Saturday, we're going to have an appreciation banquet. It's um, $50 for tickets. I only have five left, and I have to turn in the remaining un unbought ones uh, this Sunday. So today's your last day to buy them from me. I'll take cash, Venmo, or Zelle. Um, and it's like a full, like it's like a double speaker meeting. You get a fancy dinner. You get a raffle. It's a great time. And um, regarding the Sober Camping Conference, I have an anonymous uh, donor who is willing to sponsor one person who wants to go to the Sober Camping Conference. It's coming up really soon. So if you are in need and really want to step up your sobriety, please come to me and I'll, I'll hook you up with um, an, an awesome experience. Thank you. So, please join us Monday night's Big Book Study Group for the Big Book Comes Alive, third floor of this building. Fellowship starts at 6.30. Big Book Study starts at 7.15. We have coffee and cookies. Also, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, big book dictionaries for sale. The mugs are for sale unless you do a 12-week series, apparently. So, <laughs> um, we, meet, we meet here every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, fellowship 6.30. We ask that you be courteous, ready to begin at the sound of the bells. We'll see you all next week. Thanks. Uh, we have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, again, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. It's in the same building, third floor. Uh, and those who wish to thank Tom, just line up down the center aisle. And also, uh, if you smoke, uh, please just go down to the end of the sidewalk. Um, church asked us not to smoke in the little aisle way there. Um, all right, so we're going to go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And by the kingdom, power, and glory.
possessions that I have amount to nothing at all. Shining through, but 
Cause I ain't buried And be happy again Yes, and keep on smiling Thank you. 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
see the light. Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Say. Got one man that just won't say. 